Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajath, then Kedah, Adbiah, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadah, Tima, Jetur, Nephish, and Kedima. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names. By their towns and their settlements, twelve princes, according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, one hundred and thirty-seven years. And he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau, because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Well-known story at the end of that chapter. Children learn it in the beginner class. Be nice to your brother. But what about the rest of this text? Why, why even mention it? Why listen to it read? Well, redemptive history is like a beautiful picture that has a framework. We didn't just come, saints, out from under some tree or man's mind. We have roots that can be traced biblically all the way back to Adam. So it's important that these things are recorded in 
comforting Hagar on the life of her son. She was promised that he would have 12 sons that would be 12 princes that would become the Arabic nations, I believe. We learned last Sunday that after Sarah died, Abraham remarried Keturah and had six more sons. And before he died, he had 10 children and great-grandchildren. I think seven grandchildren and three, three greats. So here we see that Ishmael lives until he's 137. But before we get there, I just want to mention the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Romans 15.4 says, whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Who needs some hope? So everything in this book is written for us to have hope. There's nothing worse than a hopeless life. There are things that are bad, real bad, but to have no hope. That's not us. We have scriptures. That's why we need to read the scriptures. Even the genealogies. They're part of somebody's name. The problem with our culture is we don't value our genealogy enough. Now, I know you can get obsessed with genealogy and get lost in it. It becomes a religion. You know, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather fought in Napoleon's army. You know, that kind of thing. It's very interesting. Just don't get lost in it. But the average American doesn't even know the full name of their great-grandparents. I was that. When I heard that, it's like I did some research and found it out right quick. So Ishmael dies at 137 years of age. You may say, that's a bit far-fetched. Well, watch this. Ya makanya ya makanya biasa ya. Enggak pernah minta apa-apa sih bahasa itu. Ya biasa itu seperti makan lomahan You don't make a 145-year-old do something he doesn't want to do. <laughs> Verse 18 says that Ishmael died in the presence of all his brethren. What? What does that mean? 
He only had one brother, Isaac. Well, remember, Abraham had some more sons. And the older you get, the more your kids become like your brothers and sisters. Before my dad passed, I was kind of like a brother. I had to exhort him and encourage him like you would a brother. And so he died, not alone. He had experienced rejection earlier in his life, but God's blessing and provision brought something wonderful. Verse 19, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea. It was 20 years of pleading. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? I've got a problem pregnancy. What do I do? So she went to inquire of the Lord. That's the best thing to do. Run to the rock that is higher than us. Acquire of the Lord. And just like her mother-in-law, she received a visitation from God. You know, Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, which means mother of nations. And here it is being fulfilled in her daughter-in-law's body. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. What is this that God has against the, the firstborns? We must be born again. That's the message. Your first birth will not get you into heaven. You were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. And under Torah law, the firstborns had to be redeemed or sacrificed to the Lord. Remember the firstborn Cain? Boy, was he a disappointment. And here, Abraham's firstborn Ishmael, Isaac was the one accepted. And in the chosen one's life, we're going to learn is Jacob, his firstborn did not receive the birthright. But the, young, the younger son, the youngest of the 11, later there was a younger one born, his children were blessed. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples will be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and they were not identical. I have identical twin cousins, and the older they get, the easier they are to tell apart. But man, they were little. Tony and Jeffrey Trapani, I could not tell them apart. And I thought it was cool, though. The first one came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Now, they didn't name him Esau as in Harry, H-A-I-R-Y, but they, they named him a name that sounded like Harry, like we have in our language, H-A-R-R-Y. Yvette's dad was named Harry, Harry Selvin. If your name Harold, maybe your nickname would be Harry. And if you were Harry, the name would really stick. In this case, this, this baby was born red. Maybe he could have been named Fuzzy. I don't know, but he was a hairy kid. 
So they gave him a name that rhymed or sounded much like the Hebrew word that meant hairy. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now the last phrase there of verse 27 says, Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Now that sounds kind of boring, right? I want to be a man like Esau. But the Hebrew there for mild is the word for perfect. When God was bragging on Job, he said he's a perfect man. He used that same word. So Jacob was trustworthy. He took care of the farm or the family ranch. He didn't play all the time. But Esau became a great hunter, but maybe not dependable so much. And we'll see, not very responsible. Verse 26, Afterward his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So here's Jacob and Esau. The name Jacob has a Hebrew word for heel in it. It means heel catcher or a tripper-upper or a trickster. And he became that, as we'll see in this very story. It was predicted that he would be the leader, but maybe like his grandfather was tempted, maybe God needs some help. Who's ever received a promise from God and you thought you would help God out and it just became a mess. That's how Ishmael came to be. So here we are. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew. Give me a bowl of red. Who's ever heard chili called red? For I am weary. Maybe he'd been out hunting all day long or two or three days. Therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. Here's the lentils. The Hebrew says he made soup from lentils. These are red lentils from that part of the world. Here's what soup would look like made from it. And he became known because of this story as Edom. This day impacted his legacy. His descendants were not called the Esauites. They were called the Edomites. <laughs> Is that a put down? No, that's a lesson. To never again trade the valuable for something not as valuable. To not be stupid. He said, give me some of that red stew, for I am weary. And Jacob said, verse 31, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Well, what is a birthright? It's a double portion inheritance. Under Torah law, we'll learn as you continue reading the Scriptures, if you read the Bible, you'll see the firstborn son was promised twice what the other kids got. So if you had three kids, each child got equal inheritance except the firstborn. They got double. So each child would get 25% and the firstborn would get 50 in a family with three sons. And hopefully the daughters would marry someone that was a firstborn. <laughs> it also was you were the replacement for the dad. 
you became the family patriarch. So this was a valuable thing that Esau did not value. You ever taken things for granted? Maybe you've, maybe you've seen people in our culture that are so entitled they do not realize how blessed we are to be Americans and will not appreciate and take care of what we have been blessed with as citizens of this great nation. So Esau, the scripture says, despised his birthright. He said, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him. Now these are not little boys, they're grown-ups. Swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup. Jacob gave Esau bread. Oh, he did more than what he asked for. And a stew of lentils. How generous. <laughs> then he ate and drank. Oh, he gave him something to drink too. Boy, Jacob's really a generous guy. He arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's play make a deal. How about a birthright or a bowl of red? <laughs> so, let's see which one gets the most cheers. Birthright. Yeah. Bowl of red. Not so much. But what if you're really hungry? Right? In sociology, they call this comparison a comparison between delayed gratification and instant gratification. Now, don't worry, we're not going to get into a psychobabble sermon today, but there is truth in all the sciences and pseudosciences and social sciences, just not the truth. Can I get an amen? amen. This psychologist, Walter Michel, and Abby Ebison did an experiment called the Marshmallow Test. I saw Walter interviewed on a video on YouTube. Uh, he's been at this science for 45 years, studying self-control. He said humanity has had a problem with self-control ever since the first man and first woman couldn't resist the temptation to eat the fruit off the forbidden tree. And in this marshmallow test, they'll take a child or children put them in a room, and put one marshmallow in front of each of them and tell them, okay, we're going to leave the room and you can eat your marshmallow. But if you don't, in 20 minutes, I'll be back. And different kids, they did different lengths of time. Sometimes it'd be 15. Sometimes they wouldn't tell them they'll be back. They said, when I come back, I'll give you another marshmallow if you still have the marshmallow here. And so the video is, has the countdown clock ticking. You see the kids looking at the marshmallow. These are kids between four and six years old. Some smelling it, some licking it, some taking little nibbles, some just can't handle it and cram the whole thing in their mouth. But those that resisted, as promised, at the end of the set time period, here comes the person conducting the experiment with additional marshmallows. And the kids that waited got two marshmallows, and the kids that didn't, didn't get any. Now, they follow these kids throughout their career as students, throughout their preparation for a career. The kids that resisted temptation did better in school because they have self-control. Better as adults, but those that didn't, not so much, have problems. So it's important as believers that we are people that are able to resist temptation because temptation really is a bad trait, isn't it? 
We could call today's sermon long-range living in spite of temptation or in spite of the temporal. But I don't want to preach a spiteful sermon. How about calling it long-range living in light of the eternal? Not in spite of the temporal, but in light of the eternal. The scriptures in Hebrews tell us, chapter 12, verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now we're going to keep it real here today. We're not talking about marshmallows or bowls of soup. We're talking about real life. What if someone highly offends you and you have a right to harbor bitterness in your heart? You know what that is? That's a temptation to trade the less valuable for something that is more valuable. It's a temptation. And it's upsetting because you didn't ask to be offended. You didn't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to look for a chance to be offended. It, it happened, all right? People sin, right? Who's never sinned? All right, thank you for not taking the bait there. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. So for a bowl of soup, he sold something incredibly valuable. He's compared to fornicators. What's a fornicator? A person that is unfaithful. Literal fornication is to engage in sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage between husband and wife. A profane person is a person that's wicked. Esau basically was a wicked man. He did not value that what was valued. Well, you may see him as a victim in the story, but really he was not wise. And being wicked is not wise. And when we allow offenses to take root in our heart, it defiles everyone around us. Any root of bitterness springing up can cause trouble, and by this, many can become defiled. Why? You help spread the offense. Let me tell you what happened to me. I can't believe what happened to me. You gather people around you that agree with you. They take up your offense, which makes them worse than you because you could eventually forgive and come to a place of healing, and they're still stuck. And the wrongdoer will never come to them and apologize because they didn't do any wrong to them. So maybe you are owed an apology and you don't get it. Jesus is our example on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If he allowed bitterness to get in his heart, he was being tortured, killed unjustly, lied about, slandered, abandoned, denied, and robbed. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. People are like Esau. They're just stupid. They don't know. Let's forgive. Amen? Well, they still owe me an apology. To be a whole person, to be a mature person, yes. But if they don't, are you going to be captive? Do they have a right, as the Africans say, to have your joy in their pocket? 
Don't give them that much power. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, Esau, because Jacob got his blessing too. There was a birthright and then there was a blessing from the father. He was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You may be crying out to God for his blessing in your life, but if you don't let go of the bitterness, many times God will be talked to the hand. I want to bless you, but this has got to go. You're making a bad trade. This was built, I believe, on this first verse in our text today, this first verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. If you're a person of strife, it could impact whether or not you have heavenly citizenship, but it definitely will affect your communion with the Lord here on earth. We're told in Psalm 34, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. In these times of conflict in our culture, let's not lose sight of what we are commanded to do. Let's not trade the commands of Christ for the will of man. Proverbs 16, verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Who wants to be, be called a child of God? You know you are one, but you want to be recognized as one. Peacemakers. Romans 12, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 14, therefore let us pursue the things which makes for peace and the things by which we may edify another. 1 Peter 3, for he that would love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. When you see it, go after it. Make peace as much as depends upon you. Well, I'm sorry to be the guy or the woman that's always doing the apologizing. Stop putting yourself down for that. You're not a wuss. You're a peacemaker. Be the mature one in the situation. I'm talking to somebody today. Maybe a husband. <laughs> Verse 14 again, pursue peace with all people in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully. The old King James says diligently, purposefully. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. There's grace to live life that the Lord gives us. His unmerited favor, his power that we do not deserve. He gives us grace for grace, but this will short circuit it. Lest any, because of this, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, this isn't to make you feel guilty for feeling bitter and unforgiving. This is just to remind us of the truth. We can't stay there. Well, even God gets angry. Yes, he does, but he doesn't sin. His anger is but for a moment. If it wasn't, we would all be consumed, right? 
The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The brother of Jesus said that. When we stay angry for days, it becomes bitterness. So let it go, let it go, let it go. Lest many become defiled and you short-circuit the grace of God in your life. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. As a child of God, you have a birthright to peace of mind. You have a birthright to the ministry of reconciliation. You have a right as a king's kid to walk in peace in spite of circumstances. To enjoy, as, indu- as undeserved as it is, to enjoy the grace of God that has been given us Freely we have received, we can freely give. So the issue is our heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. How is our heart today? Are we having heart trouble? Marietta had a word of knowledge about confused minds which could be a metaphysical thing, could be a physiological thing, could be a chemical imbalance thing, and the Lord can heal it. But maybe it's a heart thing. Our heart can deceive us. The world tells you, oh, follow your heart. You follow your heart to ruin. Guard your heart. Why? Because where your heart is is where your treasure is. It's where your future is. Search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Yeah, but that neighbor does not deserve forgiveness. The human race doesn't deserve the forgiveness of God. Our forefathers killed the Son of God. Talk about an offense. Maybe you're really wrestling with being offended because somebody did something wrong to your child. And if it's a crime, obviously, call the police, let them handle it, but do not live the rest of your life in bitterness. Let it go. Now, let's transition. Otherwise, we just have a moral sermon. We want to get to the gospel. While living wisely is best for long-range benefits, we must not forget that our Lord Jesus exchanged his entitlements for us through suffering death that we might receive his eternal life and blessings. You talk about a bad trade. The Lord gave up his birthright, his right to call legions of angels to set him free, his right to receive words of knowledge and expose the wickedness in the hearts of every man that was out to kill him to the point they would just melt in a puddle of tears and shame. Yet he laid all that down. For a bowl of soup? No. For you and me. He became the son of man that we might become the sons of God. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became naked so that we might be clothed. He became robbed so that we might be provided for. He became sick so that we might become healed. He came down so we could go up. He came out so that we could come in. This is the ultimate exchange. Esau's not so much, but Christ. (laughs) 
did something beautiful for us. This is called an antitype. A type is something that's similar or parallels to a story. But an antitype is something that's completely the opposite, but yet similar. He gave up his place so that we could receive his place. And what did we give him? Our sin. Our poison soup, the bitter cup. Unlike Esau, he did not trade his position for a bowl of soup to satisfy temporary desires, but for sin's bitter cup to satisfy the demands of justice. You ever seen a scale? An unjust scale is, uh, yes, it's an abomination. Thank you. Thank you for that help. Back before there were so many computers, if you bought a pound of meat from an unjust butcher, he may have the meat on the scale in front of you, but adding some thumb to it that you can't see. And you leave thinking you got a full pound and you got 14 ounces and two ounces of thumb. <laughs> Justice demands equity. We were imbalanced, sin, condemned to die. Christ came, gave his life to satisfy the demands of justice. See, there's more to creation than the human race. There are spirits, evil spirits at, at war with God that want to falsely accuse him because he didn't give them a pass for their sin. He's not going to give us a pass. He came and took our place and paid the fine so that we could go free. So no demon has a right to condemn you. The wages of sin is death, and we have all earned them. But he took them all upon himself for us all so that we can freely receive his gift of eternal life. Having received eternal life, we should no longer be ensnared by our selfish short-term desires. In the short term, what Jesus did appears to be the most foolish thing God could ever do. But in the long term, the wisdom of God is revealed. Amen. And it was part of the plan of God. Christ is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We're talking about long-range living in light of the gospel. We can't live any longer as though this is all there is. Amen. You'll be frustrated. You'll get confused. You'll get depressed. You'll get angry. You'll get sidetracked. And you'll get separated from the grace that is ours to walk in. Earlier in Hebrews 12, we are told by the writer, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 11 just talked about the heroes of the faith, including Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Just like the heroes of faith before us overcame trials and temptations, we like them must run with endurance and lay aside those things that would bog us down. Uproot the bitterness. Stop trading the grace of God for poison soup. 
looking unto Jesus, this is the gospel, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't enjoy it. It was painful. It was shameful. And it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we look to him, Lord, you suffered for me. I'm going to suffer for you. He suffered for me, not so that I don't suffer, but so that I can be encouraged in my suffering, whatever, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Now, I'm not saying he puts sickness on his children, but he will lead you to do things that will cost you. And we still deal with consequences of our forefathers' sin, so we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with loved ones when they pass on to the other side. Those times we look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured his suffering. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. This is like life to me. This is like a life verse for us all. In the foyer of our home is this painting by Kathy Quest. Those of you who have been around here for a while knew of her, a wonderful artist. She gave me this painting because I kept using it as an illustration. It's been probably seven years since I've done this. It's like, oh, you're bringing that picture up again. But this is based on Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. The red behind Jesus is the suffering. The gold in front of him is the joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before us, we let go of the bitterness. We forgive. I'm not preaching against restitution. If you've done something wrong to somebody, communicate with them and do what needs to be done if you made it right. If you maxed out their credit card, don't leave town. That happened to my little brother. The guy borrowed his credit card, maxed it out, and moved to Illinois, and he was in Houston, leaving him with a bill. If someone's stuck with a bill, start doing what you can do to make it right, restitution. But if that never happens, don't trade the grace of God for a credit card bill. For the joy set before us, we walk through the crap. Can I get an Amen. Here's my final verse. Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was, he was God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So he descended so that we could ascend. He descended as God, becoming a man, starting out as a baby, born in a barn. And descended as a man and lived the life of a servant, working with his hands a carpenter, a stonemason, a builder, and began making disciples after 30 years. And as a disciple maker, he humbled himself and died a cruel death. 
And in dying, he humbled himself and became sin. And as sin, he humbled himself and went into the grave. But as God, he rose up from the grave. Amen. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess. So every person, every knee, if you've got a knee, it's going to bow. And if you've got a language, this isn't necessarily the organ between your teeth, it's the language. Every language is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you speak Swahili, you're going to say, Yesu Christo Nibwana. If you speak Spanish, you're going to bow your knees and say, Jesus Christo es el Señor. You speak Hebrew, you're going to say Yeshua HaMashiach. In Creole, the Haitians are going to bow their knees and say, Jezi Christ Isaye. In Croatia, they are going to say, Jesus Christ, Jegospodin. In German, they're going to say, Jesus Christ is our hair. If you speak English, you're going to bow your knees and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Why wait till judgment day? Do it now. Father, help us to live lives that are not trapped by the present. While we live in the now, looking for the not yet, we can live in light of the gospel, of the eternal, in spite of the temporal and the temptations of life. Help us, Lord, to be wise people, and to embrace the fact that we are called to do your will in this generation. And it may not always be easy, but there's a grace that makes it easier. There's a strength that you give. So Lord, I pray that we would lay aside every sin, every weight that so easily besets us. I pray, Lord, if there's any of us here that are highly offended or just a little bit offended, that we would let it go, Lord, so we can be free people, free to live, and do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.
the scriptures say that with the heart we believe to righteousness and with the mouth we confess salvation. If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you've heard this gospel story, you find yourself believing it, the next step, having believed in your heart, is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let's just show you how to do it. Let's confess with our mouths together. Oh God in heaven, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he's risen from the dead. Jesus, come into my life. Make me yours. That's how it starts. To start talking to him like that. And talk to someone that knows Jesus who will help you on your journey. And come back next Sunday. Join us for lunch today. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in light of the eternal and in spite of the temporal. God bless you. Go get him, Tiger. Thank you.